0: Okay. Good morning, everyone. This is uh, uh, the time where we're going to open up God's Word. We're going to spend some time exploring some of the scriptures, uh, kind of unpacking that together, uh, thinking about what they meant then, what they mean now. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you'd like to turn to Matthew 22. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, that's absolutely fine. The words uh, are going to come up on the screen, so you'll be able to follow along with us as we read through that. So I'm just going to give you a moment to find your way there. Uh, so that's Matthew. 22 now we're uh kind of pretty much back into the flow of things i think into the new year uh, and um, this was the the last week was the week that schools went back when children went back to schools and so we had uh, for us as a family we uh, had the the kind of daily routine back in place in terms of getting our daughter uh, eva back to school and i was able to walk her into school twice i think this week Uh, and along the way um Walk in somewhere is not always the most exciting thing to do. So sometimes Eva likes to play games, and her favourite game to play is I Spy. Uh, when you do the same route every day, it kind of gets a little bit harder to decide what new things you might be able to spot. But we were playing I Spy this week, uh, and we've been playing for a little while. And then Eva was like, "Right, it's my turn," and she said, "Well, I can't see this." And I was like, hang on a minute. I'm like, we're playing I Spy. We're not playing I Don't Spy. We need to go back to basics because I Spy is all about something that you do see. uh, And I've got to guess what it is. How am I going to guess something that we can't actually see? And so she started off, I can't actually see this. But, and then she, I can't remember quite what she said, but she she shared some other bits. And I was like, I don't know. Is it the wind? You can't see the wind, but, you know, maybe you can see what the wind does. And she's like, no, it's not the wind. And I said something else. It's like, no, it's not that. And I was like, well, what is it? And uh, her answer is, she said, "It's God." And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, so it's God. And then she, was, and then she went, "She went, I love God. Uh, and I was thinking, uh, actually, it, it's, we have to realize that our relationship with God is unlike any other relationship we have, because he is invisible. <coughs> and it's a concept, it's not just something in, in terms of, okay, so how does that mean in terms of how I relate to him? How do I express love for him? How do I express and work out relationship with him if I can't see him? Because it, it, it's different, isn't it? to the other relationships that we have, where we can perhaps see things in a bit more of a tangible, maybe more of a practical way. And I'm like, but actually, this isn't something that it might just be... um, It's not just something that that might be hard to get hold of for for a child. Actually, it's something that we all need. I'm sure we all kind of wrestle with at some point. So how does my relationship work out with God in this way? But actually, our relationship with God shapes and informs all our other relationships. It's the primary relationship that actually helps us to know how we are to be with other people. So in that sense, our relationship with God finds in, in many ways, not every way, but in many ways, finds its expression through the way that we relate to other people. Does that make sense? So how we relate to God then finds its expression through the way that I am with my friends, with my family, the way I am with with people that I meet, that I don't yet know, actually. My my relationship with God finds its expression in those ways. And we've two weeks now. This is our second week in our new series that we're calling Deeper. And we're thinking really about, uh, we're starting our year considering uh, the relationships that we have. And if you were here last week, you might remember me saying about actually thinking about relationships in in three, three dimensions, if you guess, in three directions. Firstly, up our relationship with God. Being the primary relationship, the kind of the source of any fruitfulness that we might have in our life flows from that relationship. And that's the relationship that I've said that informs and shapes the other relationships. So we're thinking about our up relationship with God. We're thinking about our in relationship in terms of with brothers and sisters in Christ, those within Christian community. But then also out. How do we relate to the, to the outside world, to those that don't yet know Jesus? So we've been thinking about that and how and we've called this series deeper because we're thinking okay so how can we go deeper in these relationships we don't just want to stay at the point where we where, where we are at the minute we actually want to be a people who are growing deeper into those things and having deeper relationship with God deeper relationship with those within Christian uh, within the church and brothers and sisters in Christ but how do we go deeper in our relationship with those that don't yet know him as well and the the kind of the structure we're using uh, is based around my old school T-shirt, my primary school T-shirt, uh, which had five words written on it, which were live, love, look, listen, and learn. So there's sort of the five areas that we're going to be focusing on as we think about how it, what it means to go deeper in these relationships. So last week we were looking at live and Paul's words where he said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And today uh, we're looking at love, and we're going to use, uh, we're going to root ourselves. In this passage in Matthew. And just to kind of set the context of it. So it doesn't feel like we're just plonking ourselves in, in the middle of something. Actually it's important we understand what's gone on around this. Uh, in, in the verses leading up to this. Jesus has been having conversations and having discussions with two particular groups of people. We've got the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they were uh, religious leaders. They were teachers. They were kind of experts in, in, the, in the law. So in the Jewish law, the Old Testament law. Um, which instructed uh, the, the people of Israel how it is that they are to live uh, and, and kind of the way that God has for them to live. And they would have been people, uh, that, men that were very learned. They would have known the scriptures. They would have really kind of un, uh, understood them. Uh, but there were differences between the two. Okay? So we've got the Pharisees and the Sadducees, both teachers, both leaders, but there were fairly significant differences between the two and in say in the verses leading up to it firstly we see that we've got this conversation that goes on between Jesus and the Pharisees where they're they're trying to catch Jesus out they're asking him about taxes and they're trying to find a way to catch him out because they want to want to find something to discredit him to put him in a bad light so uh, he has the conversation with the Pharisees and then it's time for the Sadducees to have a go they're trying to catch Jesus out as well they're uh trying to trying to trap him doesn't go as, as they would have wanted it to doesn't quite go to his plan so we've got the Pharisees asking this question in the Sadducees and now we're coming back the Pharisees are coming back to have another go at Jesus and see if they can find some way to trap him and that's where we're going to pick things up uh, in verse 34 of chapter 22 so when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees they gathered together and one of them who was a, a lawyer asked him a question to test him and he said teacher which is the greatest commandment in the law. So let's pause there for a second, what we've got at this point. So we've got the the Pharisees have come up to Jesus. Uh, One of them, who's a lawyer, bearing in mind uh, that these are guys that really would have known the law. Uh, They would have spent hours and hours kind of pouring over and discussing the law and how it was to be lived out. And this one guy, he's he's kind of singled out as being a lawyer. So he's kind of best of the best in that sense he really would have known his stuff and would have known what he was talking about and they're coming to trap jesus remember they're looking perhaps for some way to discredit him to have something to to hold against him and he asks uh he he asks what is the greatest commandment in the law now the law that he's talking about isn't kind of the law of the land uh under the the roman the roman occupation the roman rule. actually he's talking about the law of of the law that God had given to his people the way in which they are to live and it was made up of 613 commandments and so what this guy is saying to Jesus is look out of all these 613 commandments which one is the greatest which one is the most important and they're hoping that in the answer that Jesus gives that it's going to kind of stir up some sort of controversy going to just kind of put Jesus in a bad light so that's what's happening up to this point and then we read of Jesus answer Jesus said to him you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like, is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Before we explore Jesus' response, I want us to recognize that this is a weighty response. This is not an easy, light answer that Jesus gives. It carries weight. It is of real significance. It is of real impact. It is not a command that is easy to carry necessarily. We feel the weight of what Jesus is saying. So I want us to just pause for a moment before we kind of really dig into it and explore it and unpack it. Uh, And I want to lay a few foundations. And the reason why I want to do this is because as we, even in just hearing those words there, or as we kind of unpack it a little bit more and consider what Jesus meant by it, it might come to a point where it feels a little bit overwhelming. It can feel quite daunting. Something that we think, actually, this is something I could never attain to. Surely what Jesus is asking here is is too big. (laughs) It's not possible. And so I don't want us to go into this time thinking that this is something that we can achieve by trying harder. Or something, if we just put more effort in, this is something that we're going to be able to do. Because if we go in on that foundation and on that thinking, then we're we're going to end up in a pretty bad bad place. Because we're going to feel actually kind of defeated before we even begin. And actually that's not the way to go and that's not the response that Jesus is looking for. Now the last three times I've spoken, I've uh, referenced John 3.16, I'm going to do it again. Because in John 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So this sense that God sent his Son, God gave his Son to the world, to, to people, and Jesus lived a life of, you just see, everything that Jesus did flowed out of the relationship that he had with the Father. And they did, he, he lived a life that was in no way was offensive to the Father because it was just done out of, of relationship, whatever... Whatever God said he w- was the way that he was to live. He, he was obedient to, to what God had called him to do. So he lived this life of absolute uh, of, of obedience that flowed out of relationship with the Father. And then Jesus was crucified on a cross. And as he was crucified, he took the sins of all people for all time upon himself. But he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from their dead, and we have that assurance, the scripture tells us we have that assurance that because Jesus rose again and was resurrected back to life, that for all of those who put their faith in him, that is the secure promise of what will happen to them as well. So that's that that's what Jesus kind of achieved or accomplished in that sense when he came among us to dwell among us. But I want us to realise this: is that Jesus coming. And God sending his only son was not a response to love that was shown to him. It doesn't say because people loved God, God sent his son, it says, for God so loved the world. The initiative was all on him. It was nothing to do with people. It was nothing to do with their love or affection for him. The initiative was all his, for God so loved. So in that sense, God himself shows us what love is. That's kind of the first foundation that we need need to lay. God himself shows us what love is. Then if we um, look at at 1 John 4.9, so one of the letters of John. So jumping from the Gospel of John to one of his letters. And within the context where John's speaking about actually the assurance that we have within the love of God. But then he also goes on to say actually there should be a response in the way that we love one another. And we display and show love for one another. Within these verses, John says these words which... uh, have a huge implication and huge significance. He says this, he says that we love because he loved us first. The only reason that we can love is because God loved us first. It's always as a response to what God has done for us. And so we have this, these two things. God shows us what love is and we love because he loved us First, And we need to keep these two things at the fore as we explore Jesus' words. So I just wanted to kind of lay those foundations for us as we come and unpack this a little more. Jesus says you are to love God. How do you do that? Remember this, he loved you first. God says this, you need to love people. And you think, really, all people? How do I do that? Jesus says this, uh, we need to remember this. He loved you first. That's the only way that we're going to be able to to do this. So the question of all the 613 commandments, which one is the greatest? The answer is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus' response. The first part when he speaks about loving God Uh, is actually taken from Deuteronomy 6. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6. And Deuteronomy 6 uh, formed part of of the the daily prayer that those who observed the Jewish faith and Jewish tradition would recite every day uh, in what we would call the Shema. That's a part of it. So they would daily recite this. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, it would be in Deuteronomy. And then when he picks up on... And then he moves on to, and you shall love your neighbour as yourself... He's quoting directly from Leviticus 19, so another Old Testament uh, passage there. So we've got something that Jesus is pulling out from Deuteronomy 6, something that he's pulling out from Leviticus 19. What that shows us is that the requirement has always been the same. God's call has always been the same. Jesus doesn't come in and introduce something new. This has always been been God's call on his people, always, always. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbour as yourself. It's always been God's heart and God's purpose. And not only are these the greatest commandments, uh, Jesus goes on to say that they are the two commandments on which all of the prophets, all of the law and the prophets depend. Another way of saying it is that they all hang on these two commandments commandments. What that means is that everything hangs on these two commandments of love. John Piper puts it this way. He says that whatever else there is in the Christian faith and in the life of obedience, it all hangs on this. This is not something that we can kind of just brush over. This isn't something that we can say, okay, well, I might tend to this when I feel I'm ready to, or if I feel that I want to. Actually, Jesus is saying these two commandments, everything else hangs on these two. Everything else finds their place within these two everything else finds its fulfillment within these two commandments this is the greatest and first commandment and then what does Jesus say and he says and the second is like this these two things we can summarize it like this the greatest thing that you can do with your life is to love God and love people lots of churches probably most churches have a vision don't they That says, this is what we're about. This is what we're seeking to do. This is what we feel God is calling us to. And depending on what church you go to, each church will have a different vision. Particularly around what they sense that God is calling them to for their context and in their community. And for the role that God has got for them and the works that God has got for them. But really, what the Jesus words here are sort of like an umbrella call over every believer and over every church, whatever you feel your specific vision is, and whatever you feel God is speaking to you about as a specific church, this is the umbrella call over every believer, and over every church. The greatest thing you can give yourself to is to love God, and to love people. I heard it put like this. The most important question is not what rule do you keep, rather it is who do you love? The lawyer came to Jesus asking, actually, looking for what rule is the most important rule that we need to keep. Jesus' response, he, he, he kind of twists it in the sense that he says that it's not about what rule you keep. The question is about who do you love. The reason why it's the most important question is because we were made for relationship. We're not made to, be, we're not made to, to keep rules, we're made for relationship. That's why God created humanity, was to, 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 know, to know him and to be known by him. This is a question of the heart. This is about the state of the heart. This is about the attitude of the heart. Proverbs 4 tells us this. It says that we're to guard our hearts. Why? Because everything flows from it. And so if if we're observing this command that Jesus is calling to, to love God and to love people, then everything else flows from that. So where the lawyer comes to Jesus and maybe he's hoping that Jesus is kind of really going to narrow things down. If you're going to put what is the greatest thing, if there's one thing that you would say is the greatest commandment, can you kind of narrow it down to just one thing? But Jesus' response doesn't narrow things down, it actually blows things up. Because he's saying everything else that we do, everything else in our life, all other relationships, everything that we give ourselves to, everything that we live for, finds its place under this umbrella of loving God and loving people. So who do you love? Jesus says that we shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. If you were to read it in the the Mark, the account in Mark, it would say your strength as well. And you, we could spend time unpacking what that means. What does it mean to love God with your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength? That's kind of way outside of the scope of what I want to cover today. But we can... What it boils down to is this, is that the most important thing you can give yourself to is to love God with every part of your being, with all that you are and all that you have. That's what he's saying. Your heart, soul, mind, strength, that's every part of you. He's saying love God with everything that you have and everything that you are. What that means to love God is, is God being first in our lives. It's God being first in all things. I mean, we all have lots of different priorities, don't we? Lots of different things that we want to give ourselves to. We could be thinking about family, friends, work, finance, church, hobbies, all of these things. And we have to somehow... Kind of find a way of fitting all those things together don 't we that 's a bit of a, a daily challenge in knowing actually what thing needs to take priority in what moment, and somehow we have to try and get this this balance don 't we We always hear about having this balanced life where, where we 've got these things working well together, but the, the danger is is that we, we it 's possible to see God as just one of many priorities, and we can think, well, I just need to kind of let's fit God in amongst the other things, and he can find his place within that. Maybe, And it can be actually we, we feel like we might need to kind of squeeze God in somewhere, find some time for God. But to love God with all that we have means actually God comes first above all of those things. But what we find then is if God is first above all those things, then everything else finds its place within him. Everything else flows from that and finds its right place really within that. But it comes with challenges because it's not always easy to do that. It doesn't mean that the other things aren't good or aren't important. It doesn't mean that we disregard them or or think that they're not important because they absolutely are, but they find their place in him. These are weighty words that cause us to search ourselves. Maybe we need to ask ourselves the following questions. Do you love God or do you love the idea of what he can do for you? I think that's a question when Jesus kind of poses to us really do you love God or do you love the idea of what he can do for you because then what then happens if God doesn't seem to respond to your prayers in the way that you would want him to what, what then what does that mean maybe we need to ask ourselves do you love him but only to a point that's comfortable for you that's possible too we love him to a point or is there a point where we feel it would be too much Maybe there's a point where we feel like, actually, this interferes with other stuff that I've got going on. So I'm not going not gonna to give myself to God in that way. Actually, maybe what I feel God is asking is outside of what I'm comfortable with. So I'm going to just hold back on my love for him. I'm not, saying this, I'm not saying this to put us on some sort of a guilt trip. It's not that at all. I just think they're, they're difficult questions, but they're healthy questions for us to ask. Because sometimes we need to reorient ourselves and really think about who we're living for as well here's time for us to go back to those foundations that I laid at the start at this point he shows us what love is he loved you first you were made to know him why should you love God first because he shows us what love is he loved you first you were made to know him you see relationship with God is of primary significance primary importance. Now in my time of preparation for this morning I was listening to uh, a guy called Jim Partridge, he's an elder uh, at a church in, um, in mid-Sussex, I believe it is, and he was speaking on these verses and he says that the starting point has to be our heart, has to be our heart and then he goes on to say, because if, if we're, the starting point is our heart what, when, when we're then putting God first and prioritising that relationship with him. What matters to God becomes what matters to us. Okay? Isn't that true of relationships? When you spend more time with people, don't you find that the things that matter to other people kind of take on a different weight to us? And then he goes on to say, it's no longer a question of what's the minimum I can get away with. Instead, it becomes how much more can I do? How much more can I give? We find it transforms us and it changes us. And that includes how we outwork our other relationships. Jim Partridge, he went on to say this. He says that the most loving thing I can do in all other relationships is to love God and put him number one. He explains it further. He says, if I'm close to God, if I'm hearing from him, if my identity is daily being found in him, it means that I can love others better. It means that I can love others better. And this is why Jesus said that the second commandment, to love your neighbor is like the first one, because the more we love God, the more we will love others. The more we love God, the more we will love others, because the more we give ourselves to God, and the more we love God, the more we begin to see others as God sees them, as objects of his love. Let's jump back into, just quickly, 1 John 4, uh, which I've already mentioned, uh, which is the verse where, John is saying that we love because he loved us. He first loved us. But then John goes on to say, he says, If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he, cannot, who he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. So John's saying this. is like, actually, if you say you love God, then that shows itself in the way you love other people. It's not possible for you to say, I love God, but I, I hate this person. Actually, loving God shows us how to love other people. It has an impact on how we love other people. And if we were to look through the Bible, what we see consistently is that it matters to God how we relate to other people. It matters to God how we treat other people. It matters to God how we love other people. And we can also see that we we demonstrate God's love in the way that we love others. So in the way that we love others, we show them something of the love of God. But not only that, we demonstrate our love for God in the way that we love others. Say, God, because I love you, this is the way that I'm going to be in all my other relationships and in the way that I am with others. And the way that we love others is by loving them as yourself. And that seems a little bit of a weird phrase, maybe. It's quite hard for us to... what, What does that actually mean. So what does it mean to love others as yourself? So remembering what I I said a moment ago, that this is a quote from Leviticus 19. If we go back in, I'm not going to read through Leviticus 19, but if you were to put it back within the context and read the verses around it, we see that those verses are concerning being those who seek justice, being those who live generously. It's about being a people who live honestly, being those who don't exploit or use people, be in people who extend forgiveness quickly and willingly, be in those who remember the poor. So that gives us some sort of insight. What does it mean to love God at yourself? It means those things. But ultimately, I think it means this. It means to love as you would want to be loved, to seek for others what you would seek for yourself. Or well, we could summarize it like this: Ultimately, to love others as yourself is ultimately to seek the greatest good. For others. Not just those we love already, not just those that we're close to, not just people that we like or are fond of. As I was thinking about this, actually, I realized and I know that even with the people that I love most in my life, I don't always love them as well as I should. Because I can be impatient, I can be selfish. I can sometimes, at moments, see them as just another priority to try and fit around other things. How do I balance this relationship among others? And it can lead to me not loving people well. And these are people that I love more than anyone else in the world, but I don't always do it well. But Jesus' call is much wider than talking about the people that we might love already, or the people that we might have affection for already, or the people that we might already have relationship with. Jesus' call is this, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. That word neighbor, that's that's vast. In Luke's gospel account, when this question of loving God and loving your neighbor comes up, someone asks him, so who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds with the parable of the Good Samaritan. It may be familiar to you, but the, the parable of the Good Samaritan goes along the lines of there's a guy who's been Been robbed and beaten and left dead by the side of the road. And a priest comes along and the priest crosses over to the other side of the road and continues to walk. He doesn't stop to help the man. A Levite comes along and the Levites were those that would help the priests in their duties within the temple. So a Levite comes along and he too crosses over and walks by and leaves the guy where he is. And this other man comes through and he's a Samaritan. And the Samaritans And the Jews, they they didn't get on. They Really, the the Samaritans were, there was a real level of disdain. They were disdained by the Jews. There were tensions running high between the two groups. I won't get into the reasons for that that now, but just to know that actually this Samaritan, if anyone was perhaps more inclined to leave this guy where he was, it would have been the Samaritan out of everyone. But he stops and he tends to this man. And he, use, he he kind of tends to him and he uses his oil and his his own oil and wine to tend to his wounds and he puts him on his animal and he, he walks to an inn and then he stays there overnight and he looks after him and cares for him as best he can. Then in the morning he pays the innkeeper out of his own pocket and he says, Look, I'm gonna come back, and when I come back, if I owe you any more money, let me know what it is, and I'll make sure I settle up with you. And he just demonstrates this love for this man. But Really, if you could put it like this, they, they, were, they were groups that wouldn't normally have anything to do with one another. But he was the one who extended mercy. And this is Jesus' response, who is my neighbor. Actually, it's the person that you perhaps would least want to love. Or at least be expected to love. What we also see in the story of the Good Samaritan is this. Is that, is that seeking the greatest good for someone means that we're seeking the greatest good when it's inconvenient for us. It means loving people when it's costly for us. It means loving people when it demands our time. It means loving people when it puts our reputation on the line. It means loving people when it takes us out of our comfort zone. It means loving people when it makes us vulnerable. We see all of that. We also see that to love our neighbour means to love everyone. This includes not just those who will love us in return. We might think about our family, our friends, those we connect with. We might expect that actually they're going to love us in return. So it's easy to easier to love people who love us in return. It's that two-way thing. But actually, to love your neighbour means to also love those who can't love us back or won't love us back. This command of Jesus, this answer of Jesus, it leaves us no room to be selective. I think by nature we like to decide who we think is deserving of our love we like to be a bit selective don't we I will love that person but not that person I don't think they deserve it actually I don't really want to spend any time with them don't really have anything in common with that person not even sure how I go about loving them but Jesus kind of just squashes that whole idea of being selective Just says there's no room there's no room for it now this is a radical call which is why at the start I said Jesus' answer is weighty it is weighty And I think it takes a lot of time to consider and to meditate on uh, and and to just allow God room to, to work in our lives within it. And it is a radical call. And it's one that we're never meant to live out in our own strength. It's never one we're meant to live out in our own effort. It's never one we're meant to live out solely by looking to ourselves. And it's also one that we will fail in. I'm not being defeatist, I'm just telling you the truth it's one that we will fail in because the only person who's ever demonstrated perfect love is is God and we're fallible aren't we our natural tendency isn't actually to love God, our natural tendency isn't actually to love other people and so we, we will fail at times do you want to know the good news though? within all that because I don't want us to leave here feeling defeated I'm not saying it to make us feel defeated but actually the reason I'm saying it is because I want us to turn our eyes to Jesus once again and to look to him because when we realise actually this is something we will fail in hopefully it stops us relying on ourselves and makes us look to look to God this is the good news regardless of how well you think you're doing in loving God or how well you think you are doing in loving your neighbour know this You are as loved by God as you could ever be. Nothing will change that. His love for us isn't performance based. He loves you as much as he ever will. And he loves you because he loves you. We're not loved on our ability to love. We're loved because that's his nature. Because that's who he is. The other bit of good news is this is that he has also given us his Holy Spirit to enable us to love in this way. We were never meant to do it in our own strength. We were never meant to do it by ourselves. He's given us his Holy Spirit. Now, in a few weeks ago, uh, maybe even just, well, not a few weeks ago, a few last week, I think it was, I was on Twitter and I follow a guy called Phil Whittle. He's uh, an elder in the Relational Mission Church in Stockholm. And he said this. He said that I'm pretty sure that I asked the church the same thing every January and a few times in between. Will you love God with all your heart and soul? Will you love your neighbor as yourself? How can you do either without the Spirit's help? And then he finished the tweet with this Seek Him first. If we try and kind of live out this call to love God and to love our neighbor, if we try and live that out without first seeking the Holy Spirit's help, and empowerment and guidance, we, we're not going to be able to do it. The only way that we can do it is through the Holy Spirit. I'm going to just finish with a few verses. Romans 5 verse 5 says that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given to us. It's the Holy Spirit who has enabled God's love to be poured into us in the first place. Remember that place where we were starting. God shows us what love is. We love because he loved us first. The way that we receive that love is through the Holy Spirit. He's the one who opens us up to receiving God's love. And he's the one who enables us to experience God's love on a daily basis. We have to to seek him first in these things. Galatians 5 how does Holy Spirit help us to love God Galatians 5.16 says that if you walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh what that means is that if we're, we're led and empowered by the Holy Spirit He enables us to live in such a way that is pleasing to God that's one It's not the only way that we can demonstrate our love for God and show our love for God
1: But living a life
0: that is pleasing to him is surely one way where we're saying, actually, God, I'm putting you first and I want to live a life that is honouring to you and brings glory to you. It's the Holy Spirit who enables us to do that. He leads us and he empowers us in that. And then if we jump to Galatians 5.22, how do we love God? How do we love our neighbour? Paul writes this, he says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, (coughs) kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. It's the Holy Spirit. Love is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's something that the Spirit Himself produces within us. Seek Him first. Seek Him first. Allow Him to produce what only He can produce in us. Don't try and love God in your own strength. Don't try and love your neighbour in your own strength. Seek Holy Spirit first. He's the one whatever love we have it's him he that grows that within us I'd love us to just have a moment to be able to respond and to pray to it uh, to to what's been shared I really feel I just want to give us space to just ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill us again Um, this is what Jesus Jesus' response is weighty but it's also it's really glorious And it's a real privilege to be called, to be a part of this call of God. And I want us to leave this morning feeling envisioned and excited about what it means to love God and to love our neighbour. To be able to demonstrate God's love through the way that we are with others. But just one more thought. For us as a church, at the start of the year with everything that God has for us in the year ahead, with all of the things that we're going to give ourselves to, with all of the busyness of church. I just want to draw our attention to a few verses in Revelation chapter 2. Revelation was uh, where John had a vision God had given him about what is to come, ultimately what will happen when Jesus returns. But in, at the start of uh, Revelation, there are uh, um, kind of messages to each of, to, to some of the churches. And this is what he writes to the church in Ephesus. Listen to this, church. Let's have this in, in, our, in our minds as we move into the year ahead. It says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. It's possible to be busy for God. And actually, within that, there can be good things within that. But what these verses show us is actually what's the first importance to God? It's not how busy we are as a church. The question is, have we lost our first love? Have we moved away from our first love, which is God himself? Let's not get caught up or consumed with busyness, the doing of church. Let's make sure we come back time and time again to our first love. Let's make sure that God has his right place, rightful place in our lives individually and for us as a church. Always, all our other priorities... Work their way out in Him. Can I pray? Just want to.